0: welcome back lifters I am so excited to be here I have been cranking out some new material some new scripts for you guys and thank you so much for sticking around it's been quite a hiatus I hope everybody's summer was incredible but now we are knee-deep in fall and leaves and apple pie and all the cliche fall things so I'm loving it and it's really hot in Rochester which is really weird so I'm making a podcast because why not Um, we're still doing our lifting leadership. We're going to kick off right where we started, uh, back in, I think it was June, but I had an incredible time in Italy, hoping to have an episode with Alessia this weekend, because I really want to do a rant about our time in Italy, some political stuff that she has on her brain. Maybe, uh, we've seen a lot of stuff. So we have new perspective and we have new adult perspective about, the Italian government versus American government, and what the Italians are saying about us back here, and it's it's a lot. So I really think we should ping pong off each other on what we really thought um in a rant episode. I really want to do a rant episode with her this weekend. So I am posting this not on a Friday. Um, I'm posting it on a Tuesday, which is so weird, but I'm sure you're just like dying for your subscription notification to say lifting the rug has you know posted a new episode for you because we're here for your uh for your eardrums to be satisfied. so we're on to Jefferson, and I wanted to do it. I hate just spitting facts facts at you guys. I like to make it more conversational um so I made it kind of fun this this episode, and it's really about um his relationships. Thomas Jefferson was, uh, he had a very interesting relationship um with John Adams. And he, it, it, it was a lot, it was a lot of feuding going on. And I think it kind of spoke to as close to what, not really, because I feel like back then it was more poetic and there was more like, because there was less social media, there was more of that ambiguous you know weight in the room and it wasn't just like you know I saw a tweet of you know what you said and I didn't like it it was more like I got that letter to from that you wrote two months ago and I can't believe what you said you know so it was so much more poetic and grand and elegant back then you know And social media has kind of ruined that elegance in the propriety in leadership, I think. So it's interesting to see a feud back then compared to a feud now where we think we're entitled to chime in and say the things, which we are, to a certain point. Um, There are certain things, I think, that are reserved for the heads of state and the heads of our country. So this was an interesting feud that I think, if you would cut and paste it here today with social media, would look very different. So we're gonna jump in. Um, what makes Jefferson's beginning so remarkable? What I found was his tug of war relationship with John Adams. It was literally a tug of war, and I found an article. Um, we're going into the CNN. Uh, they issued an article on July 4th, 2018 by Josh Axelrod and Brendan Dick Griggs, and it's titled, Feuding Founders, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, both died on July 4th, four hours apart. Four-four, how exciting. I'm sure there's like an angel number in there somewhere. Uh, we'll jump right into the quotes because, honestly, I took a lot out of the article. I I, uh, I verbatim did a little bit because it was fascinating and short, Um. This is a direct quote. John Adams and Thomas Jefferson are perhaps America's most famous pair of feuding friends. Their storied relationships began in 1775 and ended abruptly on July 4th, 1826, when the two ex-presidents died within hours of each other on the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. End quote. I was hooked. Like, good job, Josh and Brandon. You did it. Because I was... I was in, 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 thrilled. I was excited to read the rest. Um, yeah. What was interesting about their feud was the, what you'll notice the highlights that a lot of articles had were kind of like, like I said, there was an elegance to the feud. There was a purpose for the feud. There was a friendship, but there was like healthy competition So a direct quote from the same article, the men held a mix of respect and contempt for each other and maintained an on-again, off-again relationship for five decades. Their friendship began in the early days of the nation, despite their vastly different political views. Adams believed in a strong central government, whereas Jefferson championed states' rights, end quote. That was huge, right? That was because it was such the genesis of our country those were the parties, um, those were the parties and what we were dealing with. We weren't dealing with, you know, those heavy social political issues that we talk about on the podcast regularly, you know, it wasn't about racism necessarily because it, it was so new, um, and then it would turn into that and we would start to have, um, All kinds of stuff, Roy versus Wade, all of that, all the all of that hasn't it's not in the forefront of their policies yet. You know, if you notice in the beginning of the of the country and the birth of the country and the founder founding fathers, their sole purpose was to, yes, obviously stay united in a certain way, but also um champion the opposition like want to have some opposing factors involved because it would only make them stronger but it also didn't there wasn't that resistance that we get today of the constant you know dodgeballs of social issues that Americans just want fixed by one person and I think that there's a reality to that that needs to be that needs to be dealt with in the past we've seen that yes, there were some foreign affairs that they dealt with. There were some, some social political issues, but mostly they were strictly political in the sense that we were dealing with, do we want the states to have a lot of rights or do we not want the states to have a lot of rights? And the, the president um, kind of steers the ship and it's it's more of a centralized government. So that's what they were dealing with. And when we partition when we partitioned out of that and we start to deal with um, the more human rights stuff, it gets kind of muddy because those are emotions. Those are lives. And we are dealing with that, but, and we should be looking at that, but it, the president is only one person. He is not God. So at what point do we say, maybe we should steer back a little bit and think about Not saying that they were perfect, but they only really had to deal with who has the right to do what, and when do we have the right to say yes or no, and when are we allowed to step in, and when is it crossing a boundary that's now I'm basically deciding what you do in your own home. That's like where it gets a little bit dangerous, right? So Quote, I went on a tangent, tangent, sorry. After Washington chose not to seek a third term, a power vacuum formed. My favorite word. Um, Adams and Jefferson ran against each other, split on issues like their views of the French Revolution, end quote. So the result was that Adams made, he made the cut for presidency by just three electoral votes. That was the gist of it. While Jefferson, he got vice president. And it was actually a flaw in the Constitution that made him, if you didn't... it Basically, the flaw was that the runner-up or opponent for president automatically got VP if he did not win. So that was considered the flaw. So that's how he lost the election and got... The, it's kind of like, oh, like you didn't get first place, but everybody gets a trophy. You can get second place. You can be the vice president. It'll be so fun. Like, that's kind of... It was a condescending um, move, and he was just basically a piece being moved. That's what I think he felt like in that moment. Um, quote In 1800, Jefferson and Adams faced off again. Things got nasty in the 1800 election. Jefferson won, and Adams was bitter. He left town and skipped the inauguration ceremony. The rivals didn't speak for 12 years. Benjamin Rush. We're continuing on with the quote. Benjamin Rush, a civic leader and fellow declaration signer, wrote to both men saying the other wanted to rekindle their friendship. Rush sealed the deal by telling them he had a dream in which they revitalized their friendship through letter writing before they later sunk into the grave nearly at the same time, end quote. This was just genius, okay? He, Mr. Benjamin Rush, you, you've got some you've got some pretty pretty gutsy move there bud because i it's a lot um talking to big men that had a lot of power back then you know you don't want to say it was like talking to the king because that's not what they wanted to emulate that was the opposite of what George Washington wanted the presidency role to be and he was a civic leader and he and he was a declaration signer but he was basically like, dude, like it was, it was a very informal thing. Like write letters, like be pen pals for a bit and then it'll all get better. Um, and then for him to say sunk into the grave nearly at the same time, it's just, it's so poetic. This is such a poetic feud. It's gotta be one of my favorite things that I've researched on this podcast. And it's just fascinating to me. Um, quote, in 1812, the two started writing again and eventually mailed more than 185 letters to each other, but their friendship was still tense at times and their political division remained ripe. Oof. Over the next few years, a tenderness crept back into the founder's relationship. Jefferson even wrote, Crippled wrists and fingers make writing slow and laborious. But while writing to you, I lose a sense of these things in the recollection of ancient times when youth and health made happiness out of everything. End quote. Chef's Kiss, that is, that article has got to be one of my favorite. It has such perfect adjectives. It's got, it, it, it puts me into as close to what they were feeling and what that push-pull relationship looked like. And it also spoke so much to two political leaders trying to hash it out to the very end. And we don't do that anymore. (laughs) Um, There's so much white noise from our own thumbs tapping on iPhones that get sent out to cyberspace and go back to our presidents and our presidential, presidential runner ups and all of that, that um they can't possibly, you know, sp- spend the time to just enjoy the white noise of writing a letter and like enjoy the silence of being in an office and just like, I want to make things right. I, I think it's the best thing for my own you know whatever and also for Americans nation cuz this really it looks good in our history that this happened and not a lot of people know that it happened because it shows that the human condition of the presidents still mattered and they still cared about their own relationships and what it would do for our history. I think that's why they did it to make our history richer and it did. I think it did that. So no one really knows where they stood by the end. That's something that Freud himself would have to look into to figure out. Um and that's a Gilmore Girls, um that's a Gilmore girls line in case anybody, you know, watched season I think it was season two, when she left Max. But anyways, this is not a pop culture podcast. But nevertheless, it shows how the differing opinions and stubborn old men cave even figure out a way to have constructive somewhat pleasant conversation. And that's we could use that as much as we possibly can in this country and we can kind of see that as a model. You know, they they set aside a lot of stuff and they didn't want to die bitter. They didn't want to they didn't want to end it on a bitter note because when you it doesn't look good when two people who are trying to be your president don't respect the competition or the oppos- the opposing forces. You have to respect the opposition. You have to have some sort of merit to it. Why do you believe what you believe? And how can we as potential leaders show America, even if I wasn't president ever, I was still vice president, but he was president. So both of them at one point were presidents and They ended their lives on a somewhat cordial note and they really took the time. They took 185 letters worth of time to show the nation, even if we don't get to see the letters, which I kind of want to look up if I can find them in a museum because I think that would be baller, um, we can really use this as a model because they just wanted to make they didn't want to end it on a bitter note for personal reasons, but it was, I guarantee you, to show in history that bitterness is not how you go about an opposing force. No matter how climactic it gets in a bitterness note, it should never end on a bitter note in politics, and in in, um, in the human condition. Um, or it could at least be brought up that this that our current leaders in speeches, as an example, they need to look up to this. Um, but no, our leaders do a good job of not bringing up these models, and maybe they just don't want us to ever find common ground in civilization. I think that's, it gives them more power, and that's so sad. Um, it's really sad to think about our own leaders knowing that this is the history, maybe they don't even know, guys. How scary is that? I want each president to do like a comprehensive American history course. What if they don't know about this feud? I certainly didn't because I'm going to be honest the genesis of the Constitution, the genesis of our very first presidents, besides George Washington, I was, I knew some basic facts, you know, but learning about these interdisciplinary relationships and how political power was handled and how um, different hierarchies were handled and how they were trying to navigate what means what and where the president can stick his nose in where uh, what boundaries were created um, and what relationships like really took a toll on American history. It is fascinating to me and I wish that all the presidents knew because I don't think they know and I don't think that they would be this awful (laughs) today if they knew and they use this as a model. Bring it up in a speech. Just be like in a debate. Be like, "Um, dude, they died together and they wrote 185 letters and they had totally opposite opinions on how this country should be run. So we need to like even the playing field a little bit and you need to just humble yourself that there are other opinions and there should be a little bit of bitterness sure because it keeps you keeps you uh, from aging I'm sure but you can't let it get in the way of your judgment I guess because everyone's always going to have different opinions it's how you handle the opposition that makes or breaks your leadership skills and style and your inner relationships. So now let's get into the basics of um, Jefferson's leadership because I love, I do love some of his like fast facts that I learned about him. So um, whitehouse.gov is my favorite place to go for basic facts on presidencies because it's literally There is really no room for bias. It is just facts. Um, There's really no way of hiding certain things because they're public record. And whitehouse.gov is one of those places that is pretty much as neutral as you can get. And I love that kind of source on this podcast. Um, And let me know if you can find any other source that gives you just like a really simplified breakdown of the president's without slipping into like a plethora of bias opinions because it is hard. Um, basic facts that were taught all the way in elementary school, where he was a founding father, American founding father, and one of the main authors of the Declaration of Independence. And of course, what brings us all together, our third president. Um, so WhiteHouse.gov summarizes the beginning of his life. So, direct quote, this powerful advocate of liberty was born in 1743 in Albemarle, Al." albemarle county virginia inheriting from his father a planter and surveyor and from his mother a randolph high School, high social standing mm. he studied at the college of william and mary then read law in 1772 he married martha wales skeleton a widow and took her to live in his partly constructed uh, mountaintop home monticello which is another Gilmore Girl season two quote. If you know, you know, a little cup of pop culture for you. Again, you didn't know you were getting this today. I know, you're welcome. Um, Another direct quote, "'Rather tall and awkward, Jefferson was eloquent as a correspondent, but he was no public speaker.'" In the Virginia House of Burgesses and the Continental Congress, he contributed his pen rather than his voice to the patriot cause as the silent member of the Congress. Jefferson, at 33, drafted the Declaration of Independence. Most notably, he wrote a bill establishing religious freedom enacted in 1786. Jefferson succeeded Benjamin Franklin as minister to France in 1785. His sympathy for the French Revolution led him into conflict with Alexander Hamilton. When Jefferson was Secretary of State in President Washington's cabinet, he resigned in 1793. Um, End quote. So you see here there's a little bit of that foreign affairs, a little bit of Alexander Hamilton thrown in there just a lot of different things that we're dealing with here. So it's kind of like his background story deals with a lot of him being the silent, the silent force of nature that's kind of creating this genesis of a new, of a new um, form of government. So it was really interesting to read about how he wanted the country to go because he was he created essentially the first draft of the Declaration of Independence. So we'll get into that. Uh, Direct quote, sharp political conflict developed and two separate parties, the Federalists and the Democratic Republicans, began to form. Jefferson gradually assumed leadership of the Republicans, who sympathized with the revolutionary cause in France. Attacking Federalist policies, he he opposed a strong centralized government and championed the rights of states. End quote. My favorite thing about this is that Democratic-Republicans was a whole party. Like, it's crazy. Like, what is going on? But it's interesting, isn't it, that he was into the foreign affairs, he liked the idea of the French Revolution, he was a champion for it, and he was he championed the rights of states. Um, but the Federalists were more centralized government. Um, direct quote, Republican electors attempting to name both a president and a vice president from their own party, cast a tie vote between Jefferson and Aaron Burr. The House of Representatives settled the tie. Hamilton, disliking both Jefferson and Burr, nonetheless urged Jefferson's election. When Jefferson assumed the presidency, the crisis in France had passed. He slashed Army and Navy expenditures, cut the budget, eliminated the tax on whiskey, so un- so unpopular in the West, yet reduced the national debt by a third. He also sent a naval squadron to fight the Barbary pirates who were harassing American commerce in the Mediterranean. Further, although the Constitution made no provisions for the acquisition of new land, Jefferson suppressed his qualms over constitutionality when he had the opportunity to acquire Louisiana territory from Napoleon in 1803. So let's just dissect end quote. Let's dissect this for a second. Um, So he was very much involved. He liked the idea of the French government but all of the stuff with the French had already kind of passed by the time that he got that he got into office, he was he liked the idea of the states having their own say in what, what happens, I guess. So in his presidency, that's kind of what he focused on. But he also had a really, sounds like a really big focus on taxes, which were kind of like a new thing for this new form of government to deal with. How do you deal with it? Do you deal with it like, like the English dealt with their tax. Do you not? You're trying to get away from that. Um, Army and Navy expenditures, all of that. He, um, He invested in the Navy to fight the Barbary pirates. I had no idea about this, guys. I'm very uneducated in this. So I'm learning this with you. This is so exciting. And he sounds like he did a lot in his first term. During and this is a direct quote during Jefferson's second term, he was increasingly preoccupied with keeping the nation from involvement in the Napoleonic Wars. Jefferson's attempted solution—an embargo upon American ship shipping—worked badly and was unpopular. End quote. So it sounds almost like he was and this is just a a motif that I found throughout all the presidents and how they've led this is new this is a new job there is no rule book they are creating the rules as they go like do we put the navy here sure do we cut taxes here sure do we invade this yeah let's go for it do we not get involved in this foreign affair I guess not um yeah, I don't know. It's it was a lot, but John Adams had a little bit more complexity with his foreign affairs, and it sounds like Jefferson did, but didn't at the same time. It so, it sounds like he was um he was trepidatious to really fully commit to something besides um the Louisiana Territory from Napoleon in eighteen o three. That seems very. And, uh, yeah, and the the, na- the Naval Squadron to fight the Barbary Pirates. That was one of the other highlights. But I really think that he was a more trepidatious leader who was hesitant to make too many moves. Because also, what you're dealing with is, in a eyes of a Republican at that time, having the states have a lot of power meant that you were not the only person that was going to be making the big decisions on a micro level you are dealing more of like the federal or the federal affairs the the overall umbrella of federal debt if they're dealing with that if they're dealing with um taxation overall the naval it's more of like an an umbrella you're looking at more of an umbrella but at the same time you're dealing with a lot of state leaders now who have different opinions on what should be done in their country, in in their state. Um, it's almost like a union at that point, not America and United States of America. It's not quite there yet with Jefferson in office. Um, so it was really interesting to learn about him. I am obsessed with the feud between him and John Adams. I think it's gold and the presidents should be tested on it because i guarantee you they don't know a lot about it and they should really use it as models that's all um let's talk about his proudest moments i found this really cool just like honorable mentions for jefferson it's a boston tea party a revolutionary experience it's bostonteaparty.org um and it was it's recent it's let's see yeah, this is just literally a web page that I found. But it's kind of, it's raw facts, you know, it's nothing biased. Um, Jefferson's grave, this is a direct quote, his proudest moments. Jefferson's grave is inscribed within epitaph of three things of which he was proudest. They were his authorship of the Declaration of Independence, the statute of... Virginia that guaranteed religious freedom and his founding of the University of Virginia in 1819. There is no mention of him being president on his gravestone. End quote. That is incredible to me. So he, at the end of the day, really he was, and you can you can tell he was a trepidatious leader. That um, I think, honestly, would have preferred to be on the sidelines as like a, as a silent champion and not in the forefront as the president. I really think he, he felt like he was gypped out of it and he almost wanted to just get it because Adams got it on a, on a, and he got the vice president on a fluke and then he was just angry. So he just wanted it for pride reasons, which is never something that you should be doing but i really i didn't know the university of virginia in 1819 he founded that and the statute of virginia that guaranteed freedom freedom of religion insane insane um yeah i mean and then there's the memorial near the title based in washington dc Um, where he was immortalized on the $2 bill, the nickel as one of the figures of Mount Rushmore. Um, The memorial in the nation's capital featuring a 19-foot tall statue of Jefferson was dedicated in 1943 on the 200th anniversary of his birth. Really cool stuff. He is overall, I don't think, the strongest leader that we've had. I think he kind of fumbled through his presidency. Um... But he showed a lot of character at his very end when he decided to write those letters with with John Adams. I think it's a really good model that a lot of leaders should be looking at now and um, try it. If you are trying to solve a problem, just write a letter and turn off your social media, delete it all, and just write letters to the people that you hate because I think we're on to something. So... <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed this. If you have more information on Thomas Jefferson that I haven't hit, or any other presidents that I'm gonna be hitting or have already hit, please let me know in the comments. Um, DM us on lifting at lifting the rug. Um, we love to hear from you guys. So, and if you ever want to just like hop on here to have a conversation about what we're doing, feel free. So next week is we're doing the fourth president. So hopefully oh no hopefully this week you'll get a rant i really hope alessia decides to do it with me we're going to be doing a lot of fun stuff this weekend i'm going to miami so i can't promise it but i really do want to spend some time and just think about what we saw in italy because i think it was eye-opening for us um so i hope everybody has a great week and thank you so much thanks for listening see you later